0: This is Industry Matters, powered by BGM, a post-acute healthcare podcast about community, connections, and belonging. BGM is a member service organization serving durable and home medical equipment providers and manufacturers. BGM also has communities for respiratory, complex rehab, women's health mastectomy, home accessibility, and orthotics and prosthetics. With BGM, you're part of something bigger. Welcome to Industry Matters. In today's episode, VGM Live at Home's Vice President, Jim Graterex, talks with Rick Lair from Challenge Specialties about bank trusts and how they impact home accessibility clients and home modification companies.
1: Hi, this is Jim Graterex, VGM Live at Home, and welcome to our podcast that we have today. We haven't had one in a while, but we're very happy today to have a good friend of mine with us. His name is... Rick Lair from Challenge Specialties. Rick has just joined us as a consultant for VGM members. Um, so, uh, anyway, let me let me say hi, Rick. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Jim. I appreciate the chance to get to talk to you and uh, to talk about some of the things that we've got on the agenda here.
1: Yeah, well, Rick and I have uh, become friends about four years ago, and um, uh, I I've just have been. Um, Fascinated with Rick's career. Um, he's just really been in accessible housing for a long time in many facets. So, uh, Rick, why don't you just kind of share some of your uh, history in your career with us? Uh,
2: Jim, I got started. Um, I used to do property management. I had 10,000 units in six states, 300 employees. And I weighed 50 pounds less than I do now because I was so stressed. And I just decided I was going to be a painter. And I found out painting didn't pay, but they had this new area called special needs remodeling and some new Medicaid set-aside programs that I got involved in. And I got started with those, and then I got started speaking around the country. And um, by the way, I started in 1985, so it's been a couple of years. Um, but I got started speaking around the country, and this this was before the Internet gave us opportunities to go look at what we needed. It's before... There was common knowledge out there. It was before ADA. So the people I was speaking to were very interested. And one of the groups I spoke to, a reverse mortgage lender group, there was some bankers there. And the bankers came up after the meeting and said, we'd like to talk to you because we're looking for someone like you. That was 25 years ago. And that was the special needs group out of the special needs trust groups out of banks. And they said, we need home mods. We need medical equipment. We need everything. And we can't really talk about it. But now that we have you here, and we know you know what you're talking about, we'd like for you to start working with us, and that started a career working with banks and insurance companies and trust uh, on their special needs clients.
1: Oh, well, that—that's a long history with doing that. That's, that's before home accessibility was even called home accessibility. I don't think it had yeah. a name then. Yeah. Um, but one of the. Rick he said he speaks. He's uh, he's going to be at our summit on November 10th in San Antonio, our Building Opportunity Summit. And Rick, one of the things that he has as a a lot of experience in and has done very well is learning how to produce quality quotes and scope of work. And Rick is going to have a short presentation on that at our conference. Maybe you could give a quick overview of that, Rick.
2: Well, I've I had two parts. One is I used to make the quotes and then I got into the consulting area where I accepted the quotes and had to look at all the quotes. And because of that, I've been on both sides of the fence. And during that conversation, we're going to cover at the meeting at the VGM meeting, we're going to cover the basics of it. What do you legally need to have in a quote to be to have the quote stand up in court if necessary? And then what are the essential elements of the quote so that you and both you and the client know what you're covering in the quote and then we're going to get into some of the more esoteric stuff such as how is the quote presented meaning how do you have that conversation with them about the quote how do you define what quote should cover and then what businesses practices support them accepting the quote when you offer the quote and That's going to be down into a 15 or 20 minute talk and there's going to be a lot of stuff and I'll have it on PowerPoint and I'll probably have some things available if you want to pick them up, uh, such as the legal parts that you need for the quote, because people are in all different areas. They know the business, but they don't know how to quote the business. And that's a weird gate to go through, but you go through it after 20 to 30 years, you're pretty comfortable with that gate.
1: I'm looking forward to that. We haven't had a a session on that ever. And... I think it's uh, something that we just all take for granted that we're putting out good quotes, and maybe we're not. <laughs> so uh, that, besides that, Rick has a, another talent that uh, we just want to touch on, and then we're going to get into the beef of this discussion. Is we're going to really be talking about the opportunity with Bank Trust with you, but you also, through your vast career and and seeing all kinds of different applications for home accessibility, construction, have come across all kinds of unique structures. And then you've had some challenging clients. And uh, I'd love for you to maybe share some of that expertise that you have or some of those experiences that you have, I should say.
2: Well, I think there's two parts to this. And, And you have to understand when I work with bank trust, I'm working with people that actually have money, so I'm not chasing the lowest dollar available. I can actually put out there what needs to be done in the way that needs to be done and create a value proposition. Um, but there's two areas that you deal with. One is the home they live in and the activities of daily living that they need, going to the bathroom, sleeping, eating, all the different things that people do every day, the special needs clients are going to do also as well as their caregivers. So we go and evaluate the structure and at times we, evaluate it so that we can do home modifications. We also evaluate it so that we say, this is totally unacceptable, we need to start over. Or we look at an addition. So we can take the existing envelope of the house and we can modify it, or we can take the uh, house as it is and say, if we add an addition to it, then the value of the asset is preserved, the house would be the asset. And then if that's just not acceptable, we go back and say, we need to start over and design it right from scratch. And most of the time when you're dealing with, say, a para, someone who's paralyzed from the waist down and has full control from the waist up, that's not a terribly difficult modification to make. But you get into some of the unusual or unique things that I deal with, such as a person who was basically immobilized in a fully extended position. He could not bend at the waist. He could not bend at the knees. He was locked in (laughs) at a fully extended position. Now, that sounds interesting, but it really gets interesting when you start saying, how does he go down the hallway? How does he turn into his room? How does he get into the bathroom? How does he take a shower? Um, You know, it's fine as far as he's on the bed, but then what kind of gurney do you use on the overhead track? What kind of special lift do you need to get him into his car, into his van? And so the trust would come to me and say, we got this guy, Uh, The medical case managers don't know what to do with him. What do we do? And at that point, we go in and we look at the structure. We look at his needs. A lot of times we'll work with a case manager. We'll work with an OT, a PT. who will tell us what his physical limitations or abilities are. And then we work with the caregivers because the third leg of that stool is always the caregiver and taking care of the caregivers. Um, But we'll do that. So that kind of situation, you end up making up stuff. (laughs) You go to the architect, you go to the builder and say, okay, we need doorways that are four and a half to five feet wide. And they come back and say, well, the wall is only four feet wide. So what do we do? So you basically start this whole chain of events where you have to reconfigure the house. Uh, another case that I had was a guy that had his arms blown off at the shoulders. Now, most of the people that are amputees have a stub or something they can work with, but this happened to a guy later in his life and he didn't have any experience with not having his arms and he had to learn to use his feet and and the rest of his body Uh, later in life unlike a lot of people that are born with these disabilities and with no stubs you ran into things like how does he comb his hair how does he brush his teeth how does he flush the toilet he's not good with his feet how does he take a shower how does he wash himself And I ended up ordering stuff from England. I got stuff from the prison system. I had engineers making things. I had welders welding stuff up. And uh, he had myoelectric arms that worked off of his nerves that were split in his chest. Somehow they'd gone in and surgically split them. And those myoelectric arms, how does he put those on and off? So we walked through the whole process of how he lived his day every day and went through what would make him work and worked with siemens back then you couldn't get a whole house control system you had to have it built and it cost thousands and thousands of dollars unlike what we can do now is with siri and the different services so i've gone through that and then you take that and that's kind of some of the outliers i've had and then you just bring them back to paralyzed on the left side or um TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, are also Mm -hmm. another situation where you have particular needs that aren't always physical. Sometimes they're um, confinement or containment needs. Same thing with people that uh, are TBI and also people that are aging. You have um, aging situations where people will escape. And uh, I had one situation where the gentleman was literally a mechanical engineer, most ingenious guy that I've ever met. And he had absolutely no impulse control, but there wasn't hardly anything we could figure out that would contain him because he was so smart. And that part of his brain wasn't affected that he could get out of anything. (laughs) I ended up putting up magnets that had to be activated at distance, these mag locks on doors. And we had to get the fire department to approve those because we couldn't keep anything confined. So... We had four things working against us and they all had to agree and that was the city code the building codes the fire department and the health and safety people working for him but well, we got it done and he only escaped twice after that
1: <laughs> well that's some. Um, you know it just goes to show that you know this business every client is an individual that has their own unique needs and there is no you know there, there are some of these products that you know a ramp is in many cases, it's going to be the same. But you're you're going to find custom work almost everywhere, and it's it's good to know that there's somebody around that has experienced a lot of that and can be available for other people to 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 look to. So let's uh Rick, let's go on to bank trust because that's that's something that um, I'm very interested in. I don't you know I I you've told me a bit about this, but I, I want you to pretend that I don't really know anything about bank trust and just explain to me what types of trust are there and what you know what a, what kind of work are they usually looking for
2: well Jim it's going to be pretty easy to talk to you like you don't know much because no one i deal with knows about bank trust <laughs> and there's some reasons for that one is the banking laws prohibit them from talking about a trust that is brought into their institution and that they have care of and the other one is hipaa laws so These clients are not only bound by HIPAA, they're bound by banking regulations, and they're bound by the fact that most bankers do not want to talk about the business they have for fear that other bankers will jump in and grab their business. So it's the kind of business where, to give an example, someone goes and wins a court case, and they uh, have an award of $7.5 million for the rest of their life. That's for the care of their needs for the rest of their life. Now, the judges, knowing that... There's not always good actors out there. We'll take those people and say, we're going to put this bank trust in charge of, be, have this trust being held in trust by a bank, and the bank trustee will be in charge of these funds. They now have a bank person who's who's probably passed a Series 6 or Series 7 financial arrangements. They may have been a secretary. They may have, have a financial degree, but now they're in charge of the rest of this person's life with a medical and emotional and physical programs, everything else, none of which they're prepared for. So they call people like me and say, we have a new client. Here's the house. What do we do? And I go talk to the uh, what I look at as life care plan most of the time, which comes a lot of times in court settlements, and or an OT or a PT. In the very worst case, we have a medical case manager, and we will talk to them. Then we go do our own assessments of what does this person's disabilities what are his abilities what can he do what can he not do then what is the support structure that he have? and that support structure is physically what is there at the house does he have a van does he have a generator does he have things that will support him and what is the family situation what is is he as a, an orphan living by himself and there's no immediate family around him, which has happened, then we have to figure out who's going to be there 24-7 for this care, and how do we set that care up, and or we have a family situation. Now, is the mom and dad both there? Are there brothers? Are there siblings? Are there? Is it a responsible group? Is it a fairly irresponsible group? Is it an educated group? Is it an uneducated group? Your statement before that each one of these clients is new, it's like a new book each time. You don't know, you open it up and then you start reading to find out what you have. So you evaluate the physical area, you evaluate the sociological area that he lives in, you evaluate all of his help resources and then you evaluate what he can or can't do and what he wants to do. Some of these guys, you're not letting this these, this accident or whatever's happened to them slow them down. They still have goals and aims. And we have to say, how can we support that? The other thing we have to do is, in a court case, these guys have been in court and in hospitals for five or six years many times. They become what is called institutionalized, which means they're not used to making decisions because all of their decisions for the last five years have been made for them, either medically or illegally or some other way. And a lot of times they come and we'll ask, which do you prefer? And they say, I don't know, whichever you want. And I'm going, wait a minute. So this becomes an empowerment area also. We also work on the home, the structure, and empowerment of that person so that he gets to make decisions about how he lives. And I find it fascinating. And basically, I've kind of always been amazed that I get paid for this kind of work because I get to go play with all kinds of toys and get to do all kinds of things. It's not a race to the bottom. There's actually money to do there. Bankers understand cost over time, so I can say to them, look, this is the best product. It costs more now, but it will last for 20 years. This costs less, but it will last for three years. And I I find it sometimes amazing, as I've said before, that I get to play with all these cool toys and I get to find the right items, not the ones that are almost good enough or not quite good enough, but exactly the right items and through educating the trust officers and through educating the institutions that I work with, they've learned that it makes sense to get the right thing from the start, and I get to play.
1: That sounds awesome, sounds awesome. Now, you, you talked about a, uh, that was like an injury trust. Are there other kinds of trusts that you work with?
2: Well, there's other kinds of trusts that are out there, and you're always going to, to deal with them. Now, what I deal with mainly, and a lot of is called a special needs trust. And this is a trust that's structured because of tax purposes and um, Medicare purposes. And so they mainly have benefits in both of those. But there's many times when a a father or a parent or a mother has said, this person has probably not got the best life skills and we're going to set up a trust for this person and it's going to be an at-will trust. It's going to be a trust that has certain specifications laid out certain ways, and the trustee will be the banker or a lawyer or some other group. And that trust is administered somewhat differently than a special needs trust, but it has some of the same benefits. So you have trust when you're working with special needs trust. Every bank that you look at has a trust department. Every bank that you deal with has people that work with trust and we will have trust accounts. Now, some of those are special needs, some are just at will trust, and some are trust for people that have a large amount of money and have tra- tax structures done in such a way they keep the trust. So those bankers, even if they're special needs trust or not special needs trust, are still dealing with a group of people that have money, want things done correctly, and that group of people is becoming larger and larger as the baby boomers um, get towards retirement and most of them want to stay in the house that they're living in currently so you have the special needs trust you have the at will trust you have you have situations where you have adoptions you have situations where someone adopts a special needs child and the court orders certain things you have court ordered processes that happen so your wealth managers your trust officers those are all people that need this kind of help and are looked to by their clients to say where can i find a guy that can fix a rolling shower that can do an overhead track and many of the clients have just heard of these things or saw them on tv or saw them on a tv show they don't know where to go so they ask their special needs um, about their special needs to the trust officers and to the bankers so every bank you see has a trust department they will not talk about it but they have one
1: so would that be why? I mean, there's not a lot of home access companies that are pursuing this revenue stream. It, why, is that why it's so untapped?
2: Well, you have to think about this. Uh, the banks don't want other banks to know how well they're doing. Um, each trust officer, I'll give you some numbers. Like if you go to a special needs trust, people that specialize in special needs trust, they may have five trust officers there. Each one of those trust officers may have anywhere between 120 and 145 clients. Now that 120 and 145 clients, 20% of those, five to 20% of them are gonna need modifications, special stuff and uh, special equipment. Now, again, these are bankers. They're not people that have a large medical background or medical degree or any type of association or context for medical equipment or special needs modifications. So they're looking for people, but they don't want to go on the market. And bankers are a weird group. They do not want to go to Angie's List. They don't want to go to one of these special lists. They want to go to someone that they feel will protect the institution, keep it confidential. And so they ask other bankers, do you know anybody that does this? And those bankers say, I know a guy who knows a guy, and that's how my name gets out there. And it becomes such a situation that for the last 15 years of my business, I was hiding because I could only do so much. And once you have that trust, then your name gets passed person to person to person. It's hardly ever from the paper or from this or, or from some kind of mass marketing institution. Um, but you can get in with them, but there's a certain style and type of thing that you have to recognize when you work with banks. And, I talked to one bank and I'll just throw this out because there's no names, but they told me they had $2.6 billion in trust. This was a small bank in Texas. Now I'm thinking, what are we looking at with JP Morgan? What are we looking at with Wells Fargo? Um, You you look at Wells Fargo, each one of their groups has like Austin, San Antonio, they're gonna have certain number of trust officers. Those are gonna have certain number of cases. You start doing the multiplication Six trust officers times 130 cases, you're talking, what's that? Six times three, you're having about 840 cases just on those six trust officers. 20% of them are going to need modifications, and they have the money to do it. I mean, you think about it, where do you go to get money? It's usually to the bank. So the bank's already got the cash. We're not talking about payment over time or can we lower this down? They're saying we want long-term fixes that last for a long time and we're willing to pay for the quality. So why they don't know about it is banks don't advertise. They can't talk about it because of the um, HIPAA violations. They can't talk about it because of banking in- institutions and they can't talk about it because they don't want the competition. So it's kind of a little hidden section.
1: It is. It is. It's, it's rarely talked about and uh, it's real interesting that, that you have gotten in it and kind of learned the ropes and, and the language to speak and all of that. Um, so we, at the end of the day, it would be, we really don't know how big it is. It would only be a, a, a speculation or guess. Look, really there's kind of no, guessing,
2: there's right? no place that you can go to, and I have tried, <laughs> I've tried to look up these numbers, but I, I will just say this. Every bank you drive by has a trust department. You just count the number of banks you have in your city, times the number of trust departments you have, times the number of clients they'll have, and you're looking at a, a group of people that rarely get tapped. You also have PI attorneys. You also have uh, personal injury attorneys. You also have these people that are doing the trying the court cases. And as, as I said before, it might take five years for this case to settle, but the PI attorney is paying for the special needs stuff for these clients during the time the court is settling this case so he doesn't know who to look for either he's great at legal he doesn't know anything about medical and he doesn't want to get sued so he has to find the right people and oftentimes we'll have nurses that say sure i know about this stuff i don't know the difference between this wall and this wall but i have a medical degree and i'm not here to down nurses but i've never heard a nurse that said i don't know (laughs) they always say i know And they become the de facto gatekeepers. So sometimes it's not just the bank trust you have to deal with. You have to deal with the special needs uh, communicators that are there to help the bankers with their programs, such as Medicaid set aside, such as their taxes, such as their medical billing. And they then become the guys that work with this. So you you can't just focus on banks. You have to know how the rest of the structure is laid out and where the traps are.
1: Interesting, 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 Rick. Um, I tell you what, I think we're kind of coming to the close of our conversation here. Um, do you have Do you have anything that you that I should have asked you, or anything you'd like to add to what you've already said? I would just say that
2: every bit of research that I see shows that the market for what I do, which is special needs construction, modification, and equipment it's going to triple or quadruple in the next 10 years. And the people that jump in now and position themselves now will be reaping the rewards for a long time. And, and it's a very rewarding place to be too, because you're actually making a difference in the quality of life of these people. And when you do it right, I will say this, when you do it right, they say, look what I did. When you do it wrong, they say, look what you did. And so, at the end of the day, when they walk away and say, look what I did. I created a home for myself. I made something that really works for me and my family. Then you get to walk away, and you get paid for that. How
1: much better does it get? <laughs> yeah. this, this whole industry is like that. It, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Hey, if, um, Rick, like I said, has uh, joined us as a consultant. So if anybody out there has interest in uh, like his expertise on quotes or you have a challenging project or structure that you feel like rick consulting with you might be able to help you find solutions that are that that could be difficult to come by that that's something else that he's open to and if you want to learn more about the bank trust business and understand how you might be able to enter that market that would be something else that uh, rick has put his shingle up for on his consulting business and uh, you can find uh, how to Uh, Connect with Rick on the VGM Live at Home website, and uh, right now it's under uh, the About Us tab on our website, but uh, we're having a new website come out um, probably by the end of the year, and Rick will will be in there under uh, membership benefits, or I think it's under a – actually, I don't know what tab it is, but it won't be About Us. (laughs) So anyway, um, hey, thanks a lot for everybody for joining us. Uh, 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 And Rick, thank you, man. We've known each other for about four years now. One thing, Rick has an engineering mind, and when you ask him a question, you literally can see the wheels turning inside, and, uh, and sometimes you give him a few minutes, and then all of a sudden, he will start talking, and he can line up, the whole job and the whole thing and just spew it out like nothing I've ever heard in my life. So that that's why we felt really comfortable in uh, bringing him in as a uh, consultant because I know he knows what he's doing. So anyway, Rick, thanks again. And, uh, you know, we'll see you and hopefully some of the people that listen to this podcast in, uh, in San Antonio on November 9th through the 11th.
2: Looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity, Jim.
0: Thank you for listening to Industry Matters. Make sure you never miss an episode by visiting bgm.com slash podcast or following Industry Matters on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher.